Now that I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you. You may be seated. Awesome. Thank you, Samantha. All right. Flourishing grace. You guys ready to get in the word this morning? All right. Let's do this. Uh, Ephesians 4. Um, and the greatest, and the, one of the greatest pursuits here at Flourishing Grace is the pursuit of spiritual formation. We began talking about this last Sunday. Um, if you weren't here, it's probably a good idea to just go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon. All these, all four of these weeks are going to kind of blend together as we walk through, and what does it look like to be formed into the image of Jesus? Last week, I quoted a guy by the name of M. Robert Mulholland Jr. He wrote a book called Invitation to a Journey, which is where I mean, a lot of this comes from, okay? Uh, our staff has read this book together. All Everybody who's going to be going through the Path Group course over the next few weeks is going to receive a copy of this book. In it, he defines spiritual formation like this. He says, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Spiritual formation, when we talk about it, we're talking about a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. This is not something that happens in a day. It's not something that happens in a month. It's not something that happens in a year. This is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more and more like Jesus for the sake of others, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of this community right here, the people in this room that, that have become people that you love, or maybe even people in this room that you don't even know yet. This is why we are being formed. It's not, it's not a selfish thing to long to be like Jesus. We gain plenty from being our own personal transformation in the image of Jesus, but it's for the sake of others. And for the Christian, this is the consuming goal of our life, okay? For, for the follower of Jesus, the consuming goal of our life is to be formed into the image of Jesus. That is what we long for. Now, I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody watching online has fallen in love with Jesus and given him their life and said, Jesus is my king. And I want, to, I want him to rule over every kind of bucket, every category of my life. I want him to rule over my family, rule over my career, rule over my community, my friendships, rule over my heart and my longings and my desires. I want him to control every area. I know it's not true of everybody in this room. Not everybody in this room is a follower of Jesus. Some of us are newer onto this journey and we're just dipping our toes in. Some of us have been walking it for a long time and we're like, I don't really know if I'm really, if I'm really engaged in this at all. I know we're in different places. And for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, first of all, I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm super stoked that you're here and this is a great time. Even though this morning I'm gonna be talking primarily to followers of Jesus about their formation, it's an opportunity for you to kind of peek behind the scenes, to look in and say, man, what, what are Christians all about? Or what are they supposed to be all about anyways, right? What, what, is, what is the goal of their life? And this is it. The consuming goal of your life, if you are a Christian, is to be formed into the image of Jesus. This means you learn over time to love what he loves, hate what he hates, feel what he feels, and see how he sees, want the same things that he wants, and respond the way he responds to become like him in every way that is the consuming goal of our lives. I long to be more like Jesus this year than I was last year, to be transformed little by little, as Paul says, from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. That is the consuming goal of our lives. Last Sunday, I talked about deformation, the things in this world that, that make us less like Jesus, that deform us away from Jesus. This morning, I want to talk about counterformation. Counterformation. 
Counterformation, I'm going to define as the practices of our daily life in Christ that move us towards transformation. Let me say that again. Counterformation is the practices of our daily life that move us towards transformation. Okay, we're going to talk about transformation next week. Counterformation is this space in between. It's the everyday practices of turning away from deformation and turning towards transformation. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. I read the first part of this, the first verse of this last week, starting in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Okay, that, stop right there for a second. That is deformation. Okay, we often think that, man, sin is this thing that we do. It's an action, right? Paul says, no, 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 that sin is, sin is awake within you. It's constantly trying to deform you, to make you obey its passions, right? We think when we engage in sinful things, when we engage in the way of the world, things that are opposed to the way of Jesus, that we're doing what we want to do, right? I want to look at pornography. I want to cheat. I want to steal. I, I want to gain more stuff. I want to become, I'm, I'm greedy. I want more things. I, or they, I think I'm doing the things that I want to do, the things that are, are going to be fulfilling to me. But we're ultimately doing the things that sin wants to do in us, to form us into its image, to make it, us obey its passions. We talked, that's what we talked about all last week. I'll stop there. All right? But Paul goes on. He says, do not present your members, your body, your thoughts, your mind to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present, but present, this is counterformation. This is counterformation. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Don't present but present. This is what we talk about. This is what we're talking about when we talk about counterformation. Sin is saying, come over here. Be like me. Follow the ways of the world. Engage in these things. Think this way. Act this way. Believe these things. Become like me. Let me rule and reign over the areas of your life. Let me, sin, rule over your family. Let me rule over your career. Let me rule over your desires. Let me rule over your thoughts. And Jesus is over here saying, no, come follow me. Let me transform your thoughts and your desires. Let me transform your way of life. Let me, let me lead you from one degree of glory into another, into a fuller, more beautiful way of being for the sake of others. And counterformation is the gap in the middle. Counterformation is the daily, moment-by-moment -moment practices of saying, no, 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 no. I do not want this. I want Jesus. Counterformation is looking straight at Jesus and saying, that's what I want. I want to become like him. Counterformation is every single time we turn away from the practices that lead us into deformation and turn towards Christ, which leads us towards transformation. The one consuming goal of your life is to be formed into the image of Jesus. And counterformation is the daily turning towards Christ so that he might be formed in us all the more. This is the work of a Christian. And it is work. For thousands of years, Christians have been doing this work. And a lot of us are like, I don't like work. I know. We have become very, 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 very lazy. In fact, the stat is right now in America, something like 8% of people in America who say, I'm a Christian, right? You raise your hand and say, Man, I believe in Jesus. 8% are actually doing the things that Christians have done for thousands of years are actually putting into practice the things of their faith. And I'm talking about simple things, like reading their Bibles and praying, right? The small, basic practices of Christianity. This means that 92% of people who say, I'm a Christian, are being deformed away from the image of Jesus and the image of the world. And I said this last week, man, every single day this year, sin will be at work in you to form you, to deform you away from the image of Jesus, to make you less like Jesus every single day. And so we must take the practice of counterformation seriously. Now, some of you say, man, I thought Christianity was all, like, all about grace. Isn't that what sets Christianity apart? It's like grace, right? Like, where it says work stuff. 
I love, I mean, there's the famous quote, right? Dallas Willard. Uh, you guys have heard this quote before if you've been around, right? Dallas Willard, um, who's a kind of a Christian philosopher, he says, I mean, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And there's a difference. Grace is not opposed to effort, right? We put forth effort every day to say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of Jesus, right? Because we have been given grace, because we have been awakened, because we have been shaped, we are not trying to earn more grace. We're not trying to earn more salvation. Jesus has already saved us. He's already cleansed us. He's already wrapped us in his righteousness. Every day we are doing the work of saying yes to that righteousness. I want to become more like Jesus. That is the work that we are doing. It's not a work of salvation. It's a work of transformation or a work of what we're calling this morning counter formation. And it's a critical work. It's a critical work. Um, in Nazi Germany, a great famous pastor is a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've been around Flourishing Grace, you've heard me talk a lot about Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer is one of my great heroes. The way that he lived his life in the midst of a deformed culture is unbelievable. And what Bonhoeffer saw as kind of the Nazi party rose to power in Germany, he saw a deformation machine, right? And they were. Everything they did was all about deforming the people of, of Germany and forming them into, right, good, right Germans in like their view of that. And so they had to deform the church in order to reform the people into who they wanted them to be. And Bonhoeffer saw this. And so he railed against it and worked hard against it until the point it became, became dangerous. And so what he did is he started an underground seminary in Finkenwald, Germany, this underground classroom for just, just a few pastors. He said, men, we must not be deformed. We must practice counterformation. And all of Bonhoeffer's thoughts on counterformation came out of Finkenwald. His greatest works, right, the cost of discipleship and life together, it all came out of Finkenwald. His time of, of studying and thinking through and pressing in counterformation. And he got radical about it. So radical, in fact, that one of his buddies came to him during this time and said, listen, Dietrich, you, you need to chill a little bit. I know you love Jesus, and I know you've had this experience, and I know you've had this awakening, but listen, this is too much. Like what you're asking from people, it's just too much. you got to kind of cool it down a little bit. And Bonhoeffer says, come with me. And they get in a boat, and they, they row across the sound, and they climb up on this hill, and on the other side of the hill, they, they look down, and it's a, it's a Nazi military training camp where, where Hitler is transforming the young men of Nazi Germany into elite fighters. And they are marching and shooting. There's tanks, there's thousands of men. And, and Bonhoeffer's friend is stunned by this because most of this was happening. Like they didn't, they didn't realize the scope and the magnitude of this. And Bonhoeffer says, what we do in our work of counterformation must be greater than that. Every day, we must work harder than they work. Every day, what we do must be greater than that. And friends, in our culture today, in the world today, right, everything is trying to deform you. Everything on the news, whether you watch CNN or Fox News, right, everything in social media, everything on your phone, everything around you, every commercial is trying to deform you away from the image of Jesus, into a hyper-obsessive consumer of what the world has to offer you, promising something better. And what we do here in our daily lives, the work of counterformation must be greater than that. And for those of you who in the room are like, yes, I'm in. I know not everybody is. Some of you are like, no, I don't know. Sounds intense. It is intense. And it must be intense if we're going to be formed in the image of Jesus. But for those in the room who are like, yes, that's what I'm after. I want the image of Jesus to be formed in me and I'm willing to pay all the costs in order to see that happen. That is the great aim of my life. Two things for you. First, let's go. Ephesians 4, if you got your Bibles, let's follow along. That's where we're gonna be. Second, if that's true for you, you're like, yes, I'm in. That's what I want. Listen, our path group course starts this Tuesday. Path groups are the means of counterformation here at Flourishing Grace. And they are four people who say, at all costs, Christ in me, okay? 
if that's not true of you, you're like, man, I, I, I think I love Jesus, but this is, I'm not really ready for this. Don't come. And I'm serious. I, I'm not joking. That's not a joke. I'm dead serious. You will ruin it for the other people who are serious about this. This is for people who say, man, I want to be held accountable. I want to put these things into practice. I want to give my life to the practices of counterformation so that Jesus might be formed in me, right? This is how we do it. So you can sign up right now on your phone for this path group course. Learn what it means to practice counterformation in the midst of community. Get placed in a community that's serious about this and go to work on forming Jesus in your life. All right, here we go. Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 17. Samantha read it for us a minute ago. I'm going to read it for us again just so it's fresh in our minds. Here's what Paul says. This is all about form, deformation and counterformation. I read the first part last week on deformation. He says this. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from God because of their ignorance that is within them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. That is deformation, right? That's the way of the world. All the Gentiles, that's how they live. That's just what they do. That's just their life. They're being deformed. They don't look like Jesus. They look like everybody else. And Paul says this in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, exclamation point. Paul's passionate about this, okay? He, he is fired up. This is important. This is not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's counterformation. Putting off the old, saying, no, 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 no. This is counterformation. Every day, all day, I'm saying, no, I don't believe that. No, that doesn't define me. No, I don't want that latest thing. No, I don't need a new car. No, I don't need a fancier house. No, I don't need to be greedy. No, I don't need pornography. No, all the things in the world. It's putting off the old and putting on the new, turning towards Jesus and saying, yes, 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 yes. Yes, I want the things of Jesus. Yes, I want deeper biblical community. Yes, I want to be a person, a, a creature of the word of God. Yes, I want to be devoted to prayer and dependent on God. Yes, I want to be somebody who practices Sabbath and rest. I want to be rest in him. Yes to the ways of Jesus. This is counterformation. It involves two things. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Just these two things, two big buckets. I don't have three points. I don't have anything fancy for you. Just two big buckets. Cool? You guys cool with that? All right, don't sleep on me. All right, just two things. First, putting off the old. Second, putting on the new. All right, so let's just, let's just do it. Put off the old. One of the most beautiful messages of the gospel is that in Christ, we are a new person. Jesus talks about the idea of being born again, right? Born again into his likeness, this new life that we have now in Christ. Paul uses the language of a new self. We're given a new self or a new creation. Kind of famously, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation in Christ. We're no longer who we once were. We have a new self, a new creation. We are born again. This happens in a moment. The instant we fall in love with Jesus, we are given a new life. The old passes away. The new comes. We now have the freedom to be formed. Let me say that again. We now have the freedom to be formed, okay? The, we are over here in this life of sin. And then we're gonna read in a minute, Paul says that we're slaves to it. There is no way out. 
This is all we know is the things over here. And everybody in the world that is not a follower of Jesus lives over here. There is no other option. There is no other way. All pursuing the same things that lead to the same end again and again and again and again. All with the same longing within them. All with the same desire. All with the same thought. There has to be something more to life than this. There's got to be something more to life than this. And the entire world spends their life numbing that thought. Workaholics are workaholics, not because they love their work, because they don't want to think about that thought. Gym rats are gym rats, not because they want to get jacked and huge, because they don't want to think about that thought. It is the driving thing that drives our earthly decisions. I don't want to think that there might be something that I'm missing out on that is far greater than any of this. The people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol are addicted to drugs and alcohol because they, they want to numb that thought. They want to numb it. I don't want to think about it. I just want to just, just bury that thought as far as I can in all of my worldliness. But the moment we become a follower of Jesus, our eyes are open. The blinders are removed. His, his grace is unveiled, right? We, with unveiled faces, beholding his glory, are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, right? The veil is removed. We now see the mystery of the gospel that we have been clothed in his righteousness. His blood has covered us, right? We now see the beauty of his grace and his mercy, and we are free to be formed into his image. We're no longer trapped over there. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 6. He says, but thanks be to God, verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your limitations. I'm trying to help this make sense to you, he says. For just as you once presented your members, your thoughts, your actions as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now you present your members to, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You were once slaves to that. You had no other choice, but you have been set free. You now have the choice to pursue formation. You've been set free to be formed. We are set free from the inescapable path of deformation. And when we've been set on the path of flourishing in Jesus, we are now free to be formed, or as Paul says, to present our members as slaves to righteousness, leading to our sanctification. That presenting our members is the work of counterformation. That's what Paul is talking about, this presenting of our thoughts and presenting our minds, presenting our actions, presenting our desires to Christ as acts of righteousness, that's the process of counterformation. One part of counterformation is the fighting off of the old. Put off the old, Paul says. The old self longs to return. It's sticky. If it's not tended to, it will wrap itself around the new self we have been given in Christ, stifling our transformation. And so many Christians live here. This describes, right? I said earlier, I mean, only 8% of Americans are actually doing the work of counterformation, okay? 92% live right here. Where they have said, I mean, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. He's risen from the dead. And one day he's going to return to rule and reign over all things. And yet, their old self has been wrapped over their new self. And they walk through this life with a sense of weariness, longing, wondering if there's anything more to life than this. And the truth is that all Christians, and, that, and that's a big statement, but I think it's true, all Christians at times fall into this, where we are on the path of flourishing. We are experiencing this journey with Jesus. We are being transformed into his likeness. And all of a sudden, something catches our attention. A greed wells up in us. I need to have this new thing. And we obsess over it. Pornography gets its hooks into our soul and into our heart. Lesser desires become greater loves. And all of a sudden, we've wrapped ourselves in the old self. 
and our, our transformation has stopped. It's stagnant. We were once being transformed, but now we've reverted to what, what Peter calls man, man, our, this ignorance of our former self. We've fallen back into just stupid behavior and dumb things. We've wrapped ourselves in our old self once again. Most of us have been there and experienced it. John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York City. He wrote a book called The Beautiful Resistance and The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. Great book on spiritual formation. The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. I love the subtitle. And he says this, he says, instead of being a people who have good news to share, news that could transform the world, we've become a people mired in the 24-hour news cycle, fed a constant diet, of hopelessness and despair. Our ability to dismiss the work of God in the church has become toxic. We see God working and we just dismiss it. Mass. That's just what it is. Just, you know, just people working harder. We are plagued by a lack of expectation and have begun to believe that this is all there is. We have reverted back to our former ignorance. Is this all there is in life? Is there nothing more than this? As we wrap ourselves in our former self, all of that doubt begins to enter back in. Friends, Jesus has so much more for you. He longs to transform you into his image, to free you from all of that, to lead you into paths of greater flourishing. But we must shake off the old and put on the new. We must be a people who are awakened to this and begin to put into practice things that kind of cast off the old self once again and turn back and live into this new self that we've been given in Christ. This is not a work that we have done. We've not, we've not done the work in order to gain the new self. Jesus did that for us. We must do the work of casting off the old and turning towards him once again so that he might continue the work of transformation in us. Our sin stifles his work in us. If you continue to give yourself over to it, it will continue to stifle that work. What does that sin look like? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good list in Colossians 3. Here's how he says it again to the church in Colossae. He's saying the same thing he's saying in Ephesus. He just gives a longer list of dirty laundry. He says this in verse 5. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Right? Put off the old. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Right? There it is again. That's counterformation and transformation, right? As we put on the new self, it's being renewed, right? As we do this work, it's being renewed into the image of its creator. Uh, there it is again. Paul's constantly talking about this. Paul gives us a specific, though not all-encompassing, list of what needs to be put off, or even more strongly worded as he does here, put to death. Right? What are those things? I'm going to read them to you again, just, just a list of things. Sexual immorality, right? Our, our lust, our pornography, our, our online lingering eyes on all whatever things that we are looking at. Impurity, right? Our impure desires, our passions, our, our impure passions, our evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self, with, which, uh, put off the old self with his practices. Now, which of those things tends to get its hooks in you? Which of those things would people in your life say that defines your life? And I'm talking to the Christians in the room. I, mean, I said that earlier, right? I'm talking to people who have been awakened, who have walked this path of transformation, who have experienced the loving kindness of Christ, and then have, have, have reclothed themselves in some of these old habits, these former passions, these former, these former thoughts, former ways of life and behaviors. Which one of those have you put back on? Or which ones of those have you put back on? Right? You, you might be this unbelievably kind and loving 
person in this room, right? You're always reading your Bible, but at work, everybody knows don't cross him. He will bite your head off. Seriously, though, you're just known as the person who's angry, filled with malice, ready to snap, right? That's who you are. You're the person of obscene talk, right? You, you are constantly looking to Jesus for certain things, but you've allowed obscene talk to wrap itself in you. You say, that's not, Jesus doesn't care about that. That's not what Paul thinks. That's not what Paul thinks. And maybe you are unbelievably, con you're constantly serving, you're constantly giving, and yet when nobody's around, you're clicking on images and you're allowing your mind to go to places that it shouldn't go. Which of these things have you put on? Which of these things have you clothed yourself in? Your new self longs to be renewed, transformed into the image of its creator. And those who are in Christ, who practice daily putting off the old self, are actively becoming more like Jesus as we put on the new self, which, which he transforms moment by moment. So how do we put off the old self? Let's just get super practical. How do we actually do this? How do we put off the old thing? Well, for thousands of years, I'm not exaggerating, right? Christians have been putting things into practice that are all about actively removing the old, okay? Some people call some of these things spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, and they are designed to help us daily put off the old, to, to, to identify the things that are, that are getting hooks into our heart and our soul and say, no, 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 I'm not, not doing that anymore, all right? Some of the spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, are specifically geared towards putting off the old. These are the practices of self-denial, the, the, the practices of putting off the old. Here they are, Sabbath. Sabbath is a practice of putting off the old. The world says your value comes from your work. What you can produce is what you're worth. Sabbath declares that my worth comes from God alone. In the West, we live at this reckless pace and it's destroying our families. It's destroying our souls. It's destroying our formation. And I would argue that for many of us, the most important practice of putting off the old in our time is Sabbath. Something that people have been doing for thousands of years, setting aside one day a week for God. Maybe, maybe uh, a few days, a month, or a week, a year, to just be still. Sabbath moves us from a hurried, chaotic way of life to a slow, non-anxious mode of being and puts on the new self that seeks first the kingdom. Bonhoeffer, who I talked about earlier, said it, talked about Sabbath this way. Oh, wait, sorry, I'm just getting ahead of myself. I'm moving, I'm moving all over the place. Next, simplicity. That's what Bonhoeffer talks about. Simplicity, not Sabbath. You're an idiot, Josh. Simplicity is another way of we put off the old. Simplicity, front row agrees with me. Uh, simplicity is putting off the obsessive consumption, greed, jealousy, the need for more, the hamster wheel of lives. I need the latest thing. I need the latest thing. I need the newest car. I need the newest phone, right? Simplicity says, no, 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 stop. I'm not gonna buy into what the world says that I need today. I'm gonna trust in what God says I need to be renewed into the image of my creator, to take on the form of Jesus. The world says more, more, more. That's what's gonna make you happy. But those who practice simplicity are freed from the trap of deformation. Simplicity puts off the old self that seeks after these things and puts on the new self that seeks first the kingdom of God. Because that's what I want, with the kingdom of God. Now, simplicity for you might look different than simplicity for somebody else. Simplicity is sitting back down with a budget and saying, where's it all going? Why am, why am I so obsessed with this thing? Why am I constantly needing more, the newest and the latest and the greatest? Simplicity is saying to your path group, hey, I need you to hold me accountable about where my money's going. And so if I spend more than $500 on one item, I need to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you, and I need you to call me out if you think it's me being less than simple. If it's me being greedy, if it's me adopting the way of the world. That's a radical simplicity. It's a way of life that'll free you 
from the way of the world and will make you more like Jesus. Bonhoeffer said it this way, to be simple is to fix one's eyes solely on the simple truth of God at, the, at a time when all concepts are being confused, distorted, and turned upside down. The world wants to, wants to disorient you, to make you think that this is what you need in order to be free. Fix your gaze on God and live a simpler life. Silence and solitude, right? Silence and solitude is putting off the distraction and our need for noise. Our lives are filled with noise and the world becomes louder and louder and louder. Every month, our staff is given one day, one day to just spin with Jesus. Silence and solitude. This is not a day to do chores. It's not a day to be with your family. It's a day to be completely alone, to practice silence and solitude just one day a month. To just be alone with Jesus. And we see Jesus doing this all the time, slipping away to the desolate place to just be with the Father, just be still. This is a basic, simple practice of Jesus, and it puts off the way of the world. It says, man, I, I don't need all the noise. I don't need all the clutter. I don't, need, I don't need it all. All I need is you, slipping away to be with him. Fasting. Fasting is one of the major ways we put off the old. Fasting is putting off our need for comfort and excess. I don't need more, and I don't need comfort Going without food for a few days of intensive prayer or maybe one day a week or a couple days a month, this drives us to greater dependency on God and increases our hunger for Him, right? So Sabbath, simplicity, silence and solitude, fasting, these are all the disciplines or the practices of putting off the old. It helps us identify the things that have gotten their hooks in us, right? When you fast for a few days, you realize how much comfort has its hook in you, right? How much how much kind of this gross need for excess. I Man, I just need more and more and more. I eat way too much. It reveals it to you. It shows you how much you like the world you have become. And it frees you from it. It says, man, all you need, all you need is more of Jesus. He is the chief thing that you need in your life. We put off the old in order to put on the new. That's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. And we're going to move through it a little bit quicker because we're running out of time. We want to put on the new self, right? Paul puts it this way in verse 22. He says, put on the new self, this is again Ephesians 4, created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, we see a full list of what it looks like to put on the new self in Colossians 3. Paul gives a greater list in Colossians 3.12. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another one, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thank with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Again, this, this list of this new life, this new self that we long to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Is th does this mark your life? Are you a patient and kind, meek person, bearing with one another? Do you have the ability to bear with other people in your life? Or do you get just annoyed very quickly with them? Forgiving one another, love, thankfulness, the word of Christ. Do we put on the word? Admonishing one another, hymns and songs, doing everything in the name of the Lord. As we put on the new self, we are putting on the way of Jesus. We're putting on the way of Jesus, the most beautiful, most compelling, most wonderful person who has ever lived. We're putting on his way. We're adopting his way of life. We're becoming more like him. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1 verse 14. He says this, Obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be deformed. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The new self, 
is a self of holiness. Peter says, man, we got to put off all our former ignorance and put on holiness. Now, at first glance, that sounds like an impossibly daunting task. You want me to be holy like God is holy? Uh, I don't know about that, right? Most people I know, when they're confronted with this command, right, do one of two things. Either A, they just like white knuckle it, right? And they create their like spreadsheet with like their little golden stars. And they're like, read my Bible today, golden star. Prayed today, golden star. Served at church today, golden star. Gave more than anybody else in the room, golden star, right? And they just like outdo everybody in holiness. And then they use their little star chart to beat everybody up around them, right? It's like the way of religion. This is the way of the Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees did, right? They create all their little rules. They got their little sheet of rules. They're like, look at all our rules. Look how much better we are than you. And then they use that to like beat everybody else into submission. You're not as good as me because you don't have a chart that looks like this. Gold stars everywhere, right? That's one way of life when we're trying to be this holy person. That's the way of religion. But the flip side of that same coin is those who reject this altogether. And they say, man, God doesn't, God doesn't want any of this from me. He he's not concerned with the way that I live my life or what I do, right? He loves me just the way I am. Jesus has paid the price for all of my sin, past, present, and future. And so I'm covered and I'm good. I don't need to perform for you. I don't need to be somebody special for you. And they're right and they're wrong at the same time. They don't need to be special, but they're special for you. It's an invitation to be transformed into the image of Jesus. You see, this is what's happening here. It's not a command. It's an invitation. Look at it again. Let's, let's read it as a command. But as he who called you is holy, Jesus is over here saying, I'm holy. That's just who I am. Come be like me. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I'm holy. You want to be like me. You've got to adopt a lifestyle of holiness. You've got to practice counterformation that puts off all of the unrighteousness in your life and begins to put on the holiness of God. This is counterformation. It's not living this perfect, blameless, spotless life. Christ did that for you. It's adopting the lifestyle of Christ, becoming more like him in every single way. This is counterformation. Jesus is inviting us to come follow me. To reject holiness is to reject Jesus. But to white-knuckle holiness, that's also to reject Jesus because he's the only one that can actually make you holy. M. Robert Mulholland Jr. in his work, um, Invitation to a Journey, I quoted it earlier. He says it this way. He says, Too often spiritual formation is seen as something added on to our personality that solves all our emotional, psychological, physical, and mental problems. When this happens potentially serious emotional, psychological, physical, or mental problems can be repressed and covered over with a veneer of spirituality that claims to solve the problems. Look at my star chart. I'm good, baby. You don't, you don't got to point out my flaws. You don't, you don't got to peel back the layers of the onion and see what's actually happening down in the depths of my soul. Look at the star chart. I've done it all, right? So we're covering this up. He goes on, he says this. In such instances, persons are often told, you just need to pray more, go to church more, read your Bible more, or be more obedient to God. Deal with your unconfessed sin in your life and everything will be fine. If your star chart looks like my star chart, you'll be fine. Quit pouting about it and just work harder. That's what he's saying. This is like telling a person with broken legs that they just need to run more and strengthen their muscles. Our spirituality is not an add-on. It's the very essence of our being. We are spiritual beings whose emotions, psychology, body, and mind are, are the incarnation of our spiritual life in the world. Jesus wants to form you from the inside out. Just being better is not going to transform you. We must put off the old and put on the new so that he might be the one who transforms us. Brett Turner, um, who, was, who was our uh, minister of adult formation, he used to always say, I mean, you can't just sprinkle Jesus on your life and expect transformation. The way of Jesus has to be rooted in the deepest fibers of our being. I want to think like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to become like Jesus from the inside out. I want to be fully spiritually reformed. The command to put off the old is wrapped 
and an invitation to be supernaturally, supernatural, holistic transformation. Transformation is the goal, not religious obedience. We want to enter into a deep abiding relationship with Jesus marked by flourishing and joy, not religious work. I want to be transformed into his image, not transformed into somebody who's more religious. So how do we put on the new self? Well, just as there's practices of self-denial, there's practices of putting on the new self. There's practices of adoption, practices of, of participating in the kingdom of God. These practices are things like scripture, right? First and foremost, we put on scripture in order to move towards Christ. There's, new, there's no greater way of putting on the new self than practice of scripture. All the elements of the new self in Christ are found there. The practice of scripture is literally putting the words of God in us, being formed deeply into the image of Jesus. This is an everyday practice of the follower of Jesus. May we put on scripture every day of our lives. We are in the word, being formed into his word. It's literally in the list in Colossians, right? The word of Christ, right? It's dwelling in us. We're putting it into us every single day in order to become more like him. Prayer, we put on prayer in order to be moved towards Christ. Prayer draws us near to God. He forms us into the image of his son. It is the driver of intimacy, nearness, and vulnerability, dependency that changes the way we think and act. We don't want to just pray for praying's sake. We want to pray in order to be transformed. It's not a checklist. It's not a gold star. It's an act of turning towards Christ for the sake of transformation. Community. We put on biblical community to live into accountability, to build up one another, as Paul says. This includes participating in the Sunday gatherings like this. It includes path groups and accountability groups, and also just joyful Christian fellowship. The more we become like Jesus, the more deeply we engage in Christian community. That's just a reality of life. The more we become like Jesus, the more we long for Christian community. Generosity. We put on generosity in order to become a blessing to others as Jesus has become a blessing to us. In generosity, the Christian reflects Jesus and receives Jesus all at the same time. This is why we find so much joy in being a, becoming a generous person. The more we become like Jesus, the more generous we become. And finally, hospitality. The table is a constant marker of Jesus' life. He was always engaging in meals with others, welcoming them to the table which is in his day, was a sacred space as it is in ours. However, for the follower of Jesus, the table is not a place, as far as, for the follower of Jesus, the table is a place for the outcast, for the marginalized, those who don't look like us, those who don't believe what we believe, those who don't think like us, those who vote differently than us. That's, who's open, that's who our table is open to. This is hospitality. Jesus dined with sinners and tax collectors and drunks and prostitutes. He says, come, let's sit at the table together. A sacred space, he invites them into it. This is the act of a Christian. We open ourselves up to greater hospitality as we're formed in the image of Jesus. So scripture, prayer, community, generosity, hospitality are things we put onto our life in order to become more like Jesus. These are the practices of putting on the new self, choosing to do the things that move us towards Jesus. From here, Jesus takes over and supernaturally does the work of transforming us into his image. And so what I'm I want to challenge you in this morning, friends, is, is not to take all of these practices and say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do them all. Because you're going to fail in that. What's the one area of your life? What's the one thing that you need to start saying no to this year? The one thing where you know, man, sin's got you. It's forming you into its image. You are so tempted on a daily basis to obey this one desire. What's that one thing? Which of these practices of putting off is going to best set you up to put that sin away? Say, I'm never doing that again. And which of these practices of putting on the new self is going to best free you from that and make you more like Jesus? One practice of putting off that you say, man, I want to get busy on this this year. And one practice of putting on that you say, man, I'm going to adopt this this year. Okay? And take that to your path group. Say, here's, here's the sin that I want to get rid of in my life. Here's the temptation that I keep going back to. Here's the one practice that I'm going to put, put into my life to put this off. And here's the one practice of putting on that I'm going to do in order to become more like Jesus. Friends, the one consuming goal of your life 
is to be formed into the image of Jesus. And every single day in 2023, every single day, sin is going to be at work in you to deform you, to make you less like Jesus. Counterformation is the daily work of putting off the old and putting on the new so that Jesus might do a transforming work in us. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. At the end of this year, you're going to either look more like Jesus or less like Jesus. I want to challenge you to consider what you need to do in order to put off the things that are going to make you look less like Jesus and put on the things that are going to make you look more like him. For those of you who say, man, I want to take my formation seriously this year, you are in a great place. Because that's what we're passionate about here at Flourishing Grace. This is what we're going to be pursuing this year as a community, as a church. So let's lean into it. Lean into your path group if you're already in one. Get into a path group if you're not in one. Say, and be, work towards honesty and vulnerability, authenticity. Lay your sin before them and say, man, I'm trusting you guys with this. I'm trusting you ladies with this. I need accountability to put these things off and to put these things on so that Christ might do a greater work in me than I ever thought imagined. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we confess in this place. You want to do a greater work in us than we can even begin to imagine. Would you help us to remember that, to see that? To know that you have given your life not just to save us from some eternity, but to do a work in us right now. You want to form us into your image. You want to do a greater work in us than we can possibly begin to imagine. And the curse of sin that is alive in the world is constantly working to deform us. Could you awaken us to that? And would the things that we do here be greater than that? The things that we do in our path group be greater than that. Would we be a people of counterformation? And would it be beautiful as we look more and more like you every single day, every single month, every single year, as you walk with us on this journey of forming us into your image for the sake of others. Praise in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, friends. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand. Let's sing one last song together before we go.